0: What about my sister? Oh my god. Yeah, my sister is here. It's me. I'm here. I can't I'm believe are both sitting
1: in the goddamn closet. Like, oh,
0: sure, acoustics oh, are better, but you could have cleaned it up. The whole point is that the clothes do the soundproofing.
2: This is high-end professional podcasting.
0: What do you study? Because
3: this is, like,
1: how I'm going to judge you now.
3: I'm a, a television, radio, film major.
0: But I'm the one with the podcast. Be like this. No, you can stay. I was (laughs) ready for you to say
3: like. I like, Um, I really like TV. I really like movies. So I decided to make a career out of it.
2: That would have been me if I'd had balls.
3: Yeah, man.
2: (laughs) Except then I went into another pointless, moneyless career. So what's the deal (laughs) with that? (laughs) What are we doing? (laughs) Oh my god, I don't have a sister. No, just Just kidding. kidding. I have 3,502 sisters. Actually, I think that number's been updated since I memorized it because it's been a whole semester and there are new sisters. Alana, you tell them what you think about my sisters.
0: Every single time Lexi talks about a sister, I always think she'll be like, oh, my sister Kate. Lexi, you don't have a sister. No, I,
1: I completely agree, but she doesn't say, or she went through this phase where she didn't say the people's names. She'd be like, one of my sisters, blah, blah, blah. And that will lead into like my next, like the other um, banter, because I have a motherfucking story for you. My- <laughs> okay, I love it. What about your sister, Haley? Lulu, um, she's about to graduate from NYU, and she's like writing a thesis right now. And internally, I'm just so happy that she has to like write this because like I need her to feel this type of pain.
3: <laughs>
1: That's sisterhood. I there. needed her to like feel this type of, cause for some reason I feel like her undergraduate time has just flown the freak by. And she studied abroad three different times and I always feel like studying abroad is always like some bullshit thing from like all the times for GW kids that come back and they're like, well, it's not graded. you just have to pass the class. I oh got all my friends who studied abroad in Korea
2: and my sisters who studied abroad in Korea, just like drunk and yeah. drank, drank, <laughs> just drunk, drank all,
1: so all the whole time. With NYU because she was out of like nyu london or nyu madrid nyu abu dhabi so it's like real
2: classes from your school i think so yeah
3: yeah that's how it is for syracuse yeah two of my roommates in when i was in london last semester were from gw and we all it was me and two other girls from syracuse and two girls from gw and all the syracuse girls were like are you kidding me (laughs) like are you for real because i was taking classes for my major and for my minors and they were just like huh we're gonna mess around we're gonna like not try on this paper because we need to see and i'm like okay
0: yeah gw is like go for the experience let's talk about (laughs) brothers for a sec luxie is the only one who has a brother
2: yes i am the only one who's experienced the brother and let me tell (laughs) you
0: i always wanted one
3: Okay, well, fuck off. I wanted an older one. Okay, because, fuck like, off. An older than you one, like an old, <laughs> old one.
1: She's like, my sister's like, oh, I wish I had an older brother. And I'm like, okay, I didn't want you either, but like.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. Oh, I didn't I didn't want it. I wanted to be an only child so fucking badly. She wanted to be an only child. I was child. supposed to be
0: an only child.
3: I literally cried. I locked myself in the bathroom <laughs> and cried. This modern world of science and invention
0: is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. Back on Zoom is Lexi. Lexi, what's something you wish people knew about your field? I guess I'll say about
2: archaeology. um, I wish people knew that archaeologists do
0: not dig up dinosaurs. And my other Zoom companion is Haley. Haley, what's something most people incorrectly assume about you?
1: Did you really fucking set me up for that one?
0: Everyone thinks I'm gay. <laughs> 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 and if I'm a little echoey today, it's because we have a very special guest. My sister, Dave, is here. Dave, what's your actual name and why do I call you Dave? My name is Erica. It's not
3: Dave. Um, the Dave joke started because way back really really long ago there was a staples commercial for like a a
0: one man running his own business the tagline was in a small business it's all you
3: right so it was all dave and it was just a bunch of daves around the office like one guy was like making copies one was walking around with papers or whatever and it's just like What's up, Dave? How you doing, Dave? How's it going, Dave? And we thought that was so funny.
0: Uproariously funny. I
3: remember, like, crying on the couch laughing for, like, 20 minutes.
0: (laughs) And I'm Alana, and it took me an embarrassingly long time to figure out that wax is the part of the candle that burns.
1: So I thought of this uh, in the shower where all my great thoughts come, but since we're doing misconceptions, I did not have a misconception of Alana, but my first impression of Lexi was the furthest thing from Lexi possible. What? I've never heard this before. I have never accurately told this story or like actually told this story to anyone. I've like kept it in, but secretly chuckle from time to time. So like our group of friends didn't have Lexi immediately. Like I knew Cece and Kelsey from class. I knew Cece from freshman year even. And this is like second semester sophomore year. So I kind of knew Alana, Um, but for Lexi, I just knew Lexi from this one guy um, who we won't mention. And another, (laughs) just like won't mention, they're not important. And our lovely Holly and Holly described Lexi as a girl from like rural Pennsylvania <laughs> who was like really smart so I was like writing for like a fun loving friend because Holly's great and like I trusted Holly on personality like recommendations and just life choices to an extent and I was like cool great let's meet this gal we're all gonna be like taking this one class together let's rock and roll and like Lexi comes in she's wearing I think it was like this bird's, you were definitely wearing a skirt, like a longer flurry skirt, and you had some sort of animal bird or whatever on your shirt or like on you. And literally within five minutes, you're talking about your sisters. And I'm in my head thinking, oh, crap, do we have like another 19 kids and counting? Like, who the fuck is this girl? Oh, my God. <laughs> I not Like I said, like I called out Lexi, they're 50 50. She may not say, like, she never says sorority sister, but she may not even say, like, her sister's name, like, enter sorority sister name, but she'll say, my sister. And then, but this point, she also used the phrase that she would also commonly use and does commonly use is. Um, one of my sisters so she said like one of my sisters and the other sisters so a group of my sisters are hanging out so I was like did this whole family just fucking come to church <laughs> like either we have like Weasley uno reverse of like six girls one bro or like 19 kids and counting coming on in and I like straight three weeks at least. I was trying to figure Lexi out because I knew I was going to instantly love her. But I was like scared (laughs) to get like deep dive in like all her siblings. So you thought I was like
2: from a rural Pennsylvania Amish family with 30 kids?
3: Literally. (laughs) Helen, I've got the solution. Not a padded bra. No, this is slightly
2: padded. Slightly padded? Just a sixteenth of an inch lining. Adds shaping, not inches. And it's a playtex cross your heart. You know, crosses your heart with stretch, lifts, separates, you're suddenly shapelier. Sixteenth of an inch. Adds shaping, not inches.
3: The new playtex cross your Heart, slightly padded bra. Sometimes a little can do a lot.
2: In my opinion, this is the biggest misconception in modern women's history because even I believed it until very much into my adulthood of so far my adulthood and I was definitely told this in a history class in high school as being true the the lie so we'll get right into it the women's liberation movement of the 60s and 70s granted women many rights reforming policies surrounding work education and medicine so overall pretty good move Today, the efforts of mid-century feminists are often lumped into other stories and are not granted their own lesson plans in schools or their own sections of museums. Instead, stories like the suffrage movement are rehashed time and again, and the more modern efforts of women fighting for equality are brushed aside. I mean, even we are guilty of this, covering many more suffragists than 20th century feminists. So in keeping with our mission- Hold
0: on. Yeah? This is episode 16. Yeah? Yeah. There haven't been that many episodes. We haven't had a chance to talk about 20th century feminists. Valid. So
2: the story I'm about to tell you is just a small piece of the larger movement. But considering someone could start an entire podcast series covering just the events of this movement and probably go on for like five seasons, who knows? I think it does make the most sense to give a small snippet of the efforts of these women here on our show. And maybe in the future we can cover other snippets as they relate to other things we're doing. So stay tuned. In 1968, a group of women gathered to protest the Miss America pageant. You know, we all know Miss America. Women come from each state, and I think also territories now. They get together, they compete, and one becomes Miss America. Carol Hennish, whose name I might be saying wrong, so please correct me if you know, the feminist scholar and activist who coined the phrase, the personal is political, conceived the protest as a way of bringing the women's liberation movement to the mainstream the pageant itself had a tradition of using white single childless women's beauty to make money which is not exactly a very cash money thing to do or a very feminist thing to do actually it is a super cash money thing to do because it makes a lot of money
0: capitalism yes
2: so carol and her fellow activists of the new york radical women organization decided the pageant was the perfect institution for them to protest Women of all political backgrounds were invited to join in in the protest, which took place on the Atlantic City boardwalk outside the pageant venue. And the pageant venue was one of the Atlantic City casinos. So they were just on the boardwalk outside of it and they had a permit and they were doing it with permission just in case anyone tries to come at them about that. They did have a permit for protest on the boardwalk. These women rejected the idea of the massive, air quotes, ideal woman, perpetuated by the Miss America pageant. Reporters arrived at the scene. The women spoke only to other women who were reporters and refused to speak to reporters who were men. The women issued a document to everyone in attendance outlining the 10 reasons they decided to protest Miss America. One such reason was the fact that women of color had never won and a Black contestant had never even been allowed to participate. So the feminists believe the pageant was racist, and they were calling out it as a racist institution. And we love to see intersectional feminism, so this is why that's the specific reason I wanted to point out. The women were also protesting the consumerism promoted by the event, which was fueled by corporate sponsorships. They protested it as a symbol of military-industrial complex, asserting that Miss America's role in entertaining troops made her a death mascot. You know, those are just a few. Protesters also engaged in performance art. One protester, Florence Flo Kennedy, a Black woman who worked as a reproductive rights lawyer, chained herself to a doll depicting Miss America, invoking metaphors of enslavement. In an interview, she said, the Atlantic City action is comparable to peeing on expensive rug at a polite cocktail party. The man never expects that kind of protest. And very often, that's the one that really gets him uptight. And she means the man like capital M, the man, just in case that wasn't clear. Side note, five years later, Flo hosted what she called a pee in at Harvard University to protest the lack of women's restrooms on the campus because women had to walk out of one of their academic buildings into another when they needed to pee. So I think Flo had a thing for peeing on rich people's shit. And that's a mood because she just went into the quad and she just had people pour jars of yellow liquid, which may or may not have been pee, down the steps. And that was the demonstration. So.
0: I like that her name is Flo. It's a
2: very fun name. I love it.
0: I like that her name is Flo and she's doing all of this, like,
2: (laughs) the women's work. (laughs) Simultaneously, women across the country who supported the movement boycotted companies who were sponsoring the pageant. So this wasn't just contained to the New York Radical Women. It involved lots of people. Yet, the iconic image of the protest is the freedom trash can and you might see pictures of this around on the interwebs. It's like a barrel, a can, and it says freedom trash can painted on the side. Protesters filled it with objects of oppression such as girdles, bras, wigs, fake eyelashes, hair curlers, and homemaking magazines. So like country woman and women's day and that kind of stuff. Then they lit it on fire. Just kidding, nothing was lit on fire. No burning, no fire, not even a tiny candle, not even a tiny spark. No one pulled out a lighter. They just filled up a trash can and presumably took all the stuff out of the trash can after they were done. It was performance art. That's literally it. But this powerful falsified visual leads to a myth that perpetuates to this day of feminists gathering around, burning their bras as if they're participating in some sort of religious ceremony. It was a perfect visual to sell to the American people. Don't support these radical, angry women who run around braless, unshaven, burning their undergarments and worshipping like witches. Frustrated men argued that by burning their beauty products, the protesters were making themselves less appealing to men, which is a hot take no one gives a shit about. So the truth is, a group of a few hundred women in Atlantic City in 1968 threw their bras and other items in the trash. They tossed away objects representative of consumerism and oppression, the two things they were protesting. The myth of bra burning lives as an anti-feminist propaganda piece, boiling a strong political and intellectual movement down to a visual of air quotes, nasty women, a stereotype that continues to this day, and myth, even young women believe until learning the truth because it's literally taught in schools and exists in some textbooks that you can still buy. According to many historians, this protest event ushered in mainstream second-wave feminism. The next day, just down the boardwalk, the first Miss Black America competition was held, which Oprah would go on to compete in in 1971 as Miss Tennessee. Just a few months later, Carol expressed that she regretted protesting Miss America, saying one of the biggest mistakes of the whole pageant was our anti-womanism. Miss America and all beautiful women came off as our enemy instead of as our sisters who suffer with us. The fight continues today. Yes, all women.
0: We love that, acknowledging mistakes. We love intersectional feminism. We love including all kinds of women in the feminism.
2: And since all the pictures are copyright, I can't put them on our Instagram, but they are in the articles. So please go enjoy their fantastic pictures of the performance art.
1: When you started talking, I was having such flashbacks to like middle school, high school, the women around me. And I won't name names in case they ever listen to this, but just like their attitude towards how I and other budding females should act and like dress.
0: I totally was that feminist bitch in high school. Everyone was like going to parties, and I was like, no one wants to fuck you when you're that feminist bitch. I'm
3: Harriet,
0: Harriet Tubman. I lived in the shadows, out of sight of the light of liberty, and I heard their voices call out to me in the dark. They were the voices of my people. When I heard them, the earth moved under me, rockets burst in my head. They were the voices of God.
1: This next story on Lady History, we're going to be talking about Harriet Tubman. And for a brief content warning, topics like slavery, racism, and violence will be discussed all right friends bear with me because i've been very sick not the coronas um no fever whatever just exhaustion isolation dust hitting my asthma and i've just been in the pits so anywho when creating like my math the master spreadsheet of ladies that we had harriet tubman was on this
0: who recommended harriet tubman excellent question it was
1: your sister erica I actually moved Harriet Tubman. So I had her originally for, I think it was one of the earlier episodes. It was definitely before this episode. Yes, I had her for heroines, but I was gonna move her down the list because uh, I wanted to do Solana. And then Erica was like, let's do Harriet Tubman. So I was like, sweet, had some notes on her already, got sick, um, decided to do a radical change because I love testing out different methods of storytelling I love narrations and for Harriet I thought this would be a good opportunity to like pick a new style because she is very well known but mainly because of slavery her being an enslaved human being and then quote the conductor of the underground railroad where uh where she was given the nickname Moses of her people because of all the people she helped. I would say 90% of the time there's some article or book that I read and that's kind of like my aha moment of what I want to shape the full on story around besides doing like our usual intros. So I found that article and it's kind of like, it's got me going. I kind of liked doing it that research way, even though I'm sweaty and tired, but my eyeballs still were like, we're sweaty and tired, but we like this article. So cracking open this history book to 1820, Maryland, where Harriet Tubman was born, and we don't know her exact age, so she might have also been born in 1822 if your ears are perking up and being like, this lady got her dates wrong. So I didn't know this, and this was kind of like one of my misconceptions for Harriet Tubman, but her name is not actually Harriet Tubman, or like the name her parents gave her, like birth name. Was Araminta Ross. And I just love the name Araminta. Like, I think that's just a lovely name. You could have some stellar nicknames. And besides the point, we're going to go back to just some deep dark history. And by the age of five, she was, quote, rented by her, quote, owners as a, quote, domestic servant. And I'm going to be using a lot of quotes because I really hate some of the terms used across some sources and just that's also a misconception for history is that you have to use x y and z term like yes they should be taught in the sense of vocabulary but like we don't I don't want to be teaching five-year-olds or like elementary school kids that like rented by her owners talk about their dichotomy but I don't I don't know it makes me kidnapped
2: by the people who enslaved her
1: yeah yes I like that way more Um, And by age 12, we see her resistance to slavery blossom because she intervened a fight quarrel scuffle between very bad slave owner and a man who's trying to like escape slavery. And she kind of like came on in. So that was like one of the many moments where she is like, I'm standing up for myself. I'm standing up for others. Slavery is very, very bad. So now we get to the article because of course, of course. And it ties into also the movie Harriet that came out starring Cynthia Rivio as Harriet. This was actually the first movie dedicated solely to this American icon. So like that was also a surprise to me. This Time Magazine opinion piece by Erica Armstrong Dunbar was written exactly a year ago when also the movie Harriet came out. And of course it's in the show notes. And it's called, The True Story of Harriet Tubman Shows That Sometimes Running Is As Brave As Fighting. There are a lot of little misconceptions, like the Underground Railroad wasn't actually a railroad. That's a big one. I see many times. Also with the movie Harriet, I've watched half of it. It's on HBO. So like every biopic is, it's not a documentary. People are acting like, um, obviously, people who are way more in depth into the American Civil War, uh, Harriet Tubman history than I am will be like, this misconception, this inconsistency. I'm gonna be, a, I'm gonna agree with you. So I'll just come out right there and say it that, like, when you have actors portraying a character and just movies like this, they have to add some sprinkle of fiction. However, what this article really talks about is that how we have this whole misconception that fight or flight. So if you fight your battles, if you're coming up to a quarrel, a scuffle and you fight, then you're seen as brave. You are seen as like this alpha human, alpha wolf. If you flee, you fly with your little wings, you are seen as like a coward. And that's just not true of Harriet Tubman because she literally ran away, but that was like the brave thing she could do. And also with this misconception and what the article also kind of nodded to was like, if you're running into battle, like that's still brave. Like that's seen as heroic, but running towards like another route, because like it wasn't like if you left the South, you you passed like Northern Maryland going into like up past the Mason-Dixon line, you're like scot-free. It wasn't like this magical like utopia You're running away from one battle into another battle. It was not black and white for this. So like her running away was not running away in the situation. And that was like one misconception I never really thought about. But after reading this article and reading more about Harriet, it was like, oh, that's a hundred percent true. And then the last misconception was how I perceived her as like an elusive person Like, I truly thought that the reason why we had pictures of Harriet Tubman was that she got caught, not in a great way. Like, she got caught and, like, she had to, like, weasel her way out, like, but she was still free. And, like, when she was free, it was, she was just free because she happened to be in, like, the northern part and not, like, the part where she could go back to being a slave. I'm explaining this horribly wrong, but this is me trying to remember back to, like, early middle school, late elementary school history. So, like, I like, and this was also a misconception for just history. And I thought it was more of like, if you were a bad, important, we would have your picture to remember your face. So, that was kind of like, I knew Harriet Tubman was like the hero and the good guy in this whole scenario. Like, I thought the reason why she was photographed and talked about was because she got caught and didn't want to be in the public eye. That is not necessarily true. She was an elusive person, tried to keep to herself. However, she did do speaking engagements. Like, she would talk about, like, her life in the North and then, like, go back to the, into the shadows and just, like, take a time away from society. And I don't know if she, I couldn't, like, find out, like, what she did talk about the talks, like, specifically. But I know that in these speaking engagements, she obviously condemned slavery. And she would also condemn, like, the lawmakers. And like for the lawmakers who condemned slavery, but didn't do anything about it, she was still like, you're you're not as good, like you're not good or better, or you're not better. You're still doing a shitty job. And in the end, she made 12 to 13 trips to Maryland, rescuing nearly 70 people. And by doing like each of those trips, she was breaking federal law
0: each and every time. This is the first time we're covering someone who is still, like, active in the world. And I'm very nervous, but I'm gonna do my best. So, this story has a content warning for sexual assault and a brief mention of suicide that I'll note when it comes up. So, just in case sexual assault isn't triggering for you, but maybe suicide is, I will let you know when to hit that skippy boy. Uh, so I am talking about Monica Lewinsky, who was born July 23rd, 1973. That makes her a Leo. Um, A lot of my notes come from the 2018, so kind of recent, docuseries called The Clinton Affair, which I watched all of it. I binged it. It was exhausting. Uh, It features Monica herself, actually, and so in further reading, I have included a Vanity Fair article that she wrote about why she decided to participate. One of the reasons was that she really liked that so many women were involved, whereas until that point, a lot of the biographies of bill clinton and like the books about that whole time were written by men and she was like oh this is really cool that a lot of women are so heavily involved so she agreed to participate in the docuseries and i thought that was really cool of her so after she graduated college we're going back in time to 1995 she'd graduated college and she had initially wanted to get a phd in forensic psychology but she didn't score high enough on one section of the gre She was very interested in where psychology and the law kind of meet, but she wasn't really into politics. But also she, like, didn't know what to do since she wasn't going into a Ph.D. program. She had a family friend who had done the White House summer internship. He put in a good word for her, and so she got the summer internship for the summer of 1995. At one point, she had a conversation with one of the other interns who was like, oh, isn't President Clinton so handsome? And she was like, no! But then they were in the same room together and he was hypnotically charismatic and she developed a like a celebrity crush kind of on him. There were a couple of flirtatious interactions during the internship but nothing like serious. She had been hired full time after the internship was over and so that's when the affair began in November of 1995. Except here's the thing, 1996 was an election year and Clinton was running for re-election. This would have been and ended up being Very scandalous, and could have cost him his re-election. So, she was transferred to the Pentagon with the promise that she'd be back at the White House when the election was over. Except then, the election was over, and Monica was still at the Pentagon. She made a joke about how she was so underqualified to be at the Pentagon, but there she was. She confided in her colleague named Linda Tripp, and what is the first thing that this bitch, Linda Tripp, does? She calls a literary agent and starts taping their conversations. I would like to note that Linda Tripp did not participate in the docu-series. She also died in April, but as previously mentioned, this docu-series came out two years ago. So that timeline doesn't work. I don't know if they asked her, but I feel like "Mm." the literary agent participated. Let me take a second and put all of this in context. There was an ongoing sexual harassment lawsuit against President Clinton by a woman named Paula Jones, who said that he assaulted her when he was governor of Arkansas, and there were a lot of other accusers involved. So calling it the Lewinsky scandal, as it kind of has been, uh, is bad. But you also can't really call it the Clinton scandal because there are just too many of them. There was this thing called, like, whitewater about banking that I didn't really understand. It's fine. I'll touch back on that at the end. And so someone leaked to Ken Starr, who was the investigator, that President Clinton was having a, currently having an affair with a young intern. On January 16th, 1998, the FBI like held her in custody at the Ritz- Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. They didn't really arrest her, but they also, it was pretty clear that she wasn't allowed to go anywhere. They teased her for wanting her to call her mom and then manipulated her into not calling her lawyer and lied about an immunity deal. And this is the suicide mention. so maybe skip forward 15 seconds. She was so distraught and scared that she thought the only way to protect her loved ones and the president was to jump out the window. Like that was a serious thought she had. Um, There was some back and forth between Ken Starr, who sucks, just objectively. I guess not to Ken Starr and his family, but he's the worst. So there's some back and forth between him and Monica's lawyers. If she could have an immunity deal or not and she finally gets one in writing in July of 1998. The lawyers in the docuseries said that they probably wouldn't have charged her with anything anyway. Frustration noises. Part of the immunity deal was answering very specific and very detailed questions about the nature of the sex that they had had directly to Ken Starr and she was very uncomfortable and so she made a chart and wrote it all down instead of saying it. Later, Starr said that he didn't want the president getting asked pornographic questions. Except, hold the fucking phone. There's a horrible relatively new thing out there called the internet. And in September, the House Judiciary Committee releases the Starr report on the internet. And this is where we get to the horrible way that late night shows and the news treated Monica Lewinsky. She was slut-shamed, she became a caricature, all of the late night shows have their go at her and just say horrible things. Fuck Jay Leno, all my homies hate Jay Leno. He was the worst of them and has yet to apologize and even called for like civility to return to late night TV and I was like, "Mm." also fuck Bill Maher, I hate Bill Maher, not just because of this, but also in general, sorry dad, I hate him. But Bill Clinton, President Clinton had encouraged Monica to lie during the Jones investigation and that was what came up and caused the impeachment trial, not the assault not the affair, the quote, obstruction of justice. Fun fact for my fellow DC friends, my favorite place in the whole world, Kramer Books and Afterwards Cafe, which is now just Kramer's and that makes me feel weird, is kind of tangentially involved in this because Monica bought a book on phone sex from them and the investigation subpoenaed those records.
2: Are you kidding me?
0: I am not kidding you.
2: I guess the point is for 25 years, Young women in D.C. have been going to Kramer's and buying
0: suspicious books. (laughs) Totally! (laughs) So, could all of this have been avoided if Bill Clinton was just honest the first time he was asked? Because there was, like, years and years of denying this. And if he had just said he had an inappropriate relationship with her? Maybe. Monica probably would have still been ridiculed and slut-shamed, though. But I guess certain semen-stained dresses could not have come to light. For context, there's this very famous blue dress that Monica wore during one of their encounters that had Bill Clinton semen on it. Fun fact, Linda Tripp encouraged her not to wash the dress. On the tape of that conversation, Tripp says that she just has this nagging feeling that it'll come up later. Also, all the women who accused Bill Clinton in the 90s of uh, sexual misconduct went on to support Trump in 2016.
2: Like, like advocate, like publicly tell people?
0: Yeah, oh. there's this whole panel of them. He did, in 2016, he did a whole panel with all of Bill Clinton's accusers because that was relevant to Hillary's run, I guess. Did he
2: pay them for that? I, I don't know. Or they just really, they just, they hated him so much they had to just eat
0: Hillary. I mean, the alternative title for this is The Way in Which Bill Clinton is Democratic Donald Trump. If, you, if you're not seeing parallels, I, like, I watched this in 2018 I was like, oh my god. Or I watched it now, but that had take place in 2018.
1: I've trick-or-treated at Bill and Hill's house. I've met them on various occasions. We grew up in I grew up in Chapacorn, New York, and that's the
0: town they live in. My cousin has prayed with Jared and Ivanka because they're Jewish. So Monica today is a goddamn delight. She's so much fun. She is an anti bullying and anti public shaming activist. Her Twitter bio includes Rap Song Muse, which is hilarious. Because according to a John Oliver piece from 2019, which I have linked in the show notes because he is also a goddamn delight, her name is featured in 193 rap songs as of 2019. There was this Twitter meme a while ago that was, what pop culture thing ruined your first name? And she was like, am I even allowed to play? Uh, If you want to know more, I do recommend the Clinton Affair docuseries, but maybe don't binge it like I did. You might want some time to recover. Um, It also has snippets of info about the other Clinton scandals, like Hillary's involvement in one of them, a little bit about Hillary, how Newt Gingrich and his Republican Party pretty much single-handedly made politics the vitriolic cesspit that it is, and definitely made space for Trumpism to rise, and an actual right-wing conspiracy, and a lot of things that I just couldn't cover because we're only talking about Monica, and we don't have a lot of time. Basically, society was shitty to Monica Lewinsky, and we have a lot of repenting to do, and we should do better. I say that like I wasn't literally born in 1998, like right in the middle of all this, but like in general, we need to call bad people on their shit and believe survivors.
2: You can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode will be on ladyhistorypod.tumblr.com. If you like the
0: show, leave us a review or tell your friends. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram, at Lexi Our theme music is by me, garage Band, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the ending. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History.
1: Next week on Lady History, you'll see Alana crap herself because we have such a special guest.
0: Burger waiting for me. Go,
2: we love you. Love you. Well, I'll talk later. Okay, bye. Bye bye.